0: 3 and verse 4. So you can turn there, but I did some, some study. I looked up where does Mother's Day come from? Where do, this, where do we get this modern iteration of Mother's Day? Where do we find information? So, of course, I go to Dr. Google, and Dr. Google told me that the clearest modern precedent for Mother's Day is the early Christian festival known as Mothering Sunday. It was once a major tradition in the United Kingdom and parts of Europe, and then this celebration fell on the fourth Sunday in Lent and was originally seen as a time when the faithful would return to their mother church, the main church in the vicinity of their home, for a special service. But over time, the mothering Sunday tradition shifted into a more secular holiday. Isn't that interesting how that goes? And children would present their mothers with flowers and other tokens of appreciation. This custom eventually faded in popularity before merging with the American Mother's Day in the 1930s and 40s. So the American version of Mother's Day is interesting. It was created by by Ann Jarvis. She was an unmarried, childless woman. Ann Jarvis in 1908, became, uh, it become the official U.S. holiday in 1914. She started in 1908, and it became official in 1914. Then Jarvis, this lady who got it on the calendar, would later denounce the holiday's commercialization and spend the last part of her life trying to remove it from the calendar because it got destroyed. The purpose of it was wrecked. So Mother's Day is a, an interesting holiday isn't it a lot of people make a lot of money off of mothers day how many mothers truly get honored on mothers day or is there expectations well i didn't get my phone call from my my grandkids or my son today or my daughter today i didn't get they didn't reach out to me and so there's some hurt there's some pain i do like the the premise of mothers day that we honor our mothers, and we encourage our mothers. And mothers come in many types, don't they? We have our physical mothers, the ones that have birthed us, but we also have spiritual mothers. We have mentors in the faith, women who have mentored us and have discipled us. That could be a teacher that you remember from back in the day who shared the gospel with you. That could be Sunday school teachers. That could be nursery workers. Someone, some woman invested in your life And we know that that's the case in Scripture as well. We know a lot about Timothy because his mother and grandmother invested in him. So mothers come in many ways, and we want to encourage mothers. And I think of no better way to honor mothers than to preach the Word of God, the living Word of God, and to show you how Christ is necessary for your life. You need Christ when things don't go so well. You need Christ when your family doesn't go quite the way you expected it to. When your children don't behave the way that you want them to. When they go and they rebel against your rules later as they get out of their age. And so you may be struggling right now. And I want you to know Christ has the comfort. So let's go ahead and look at our passage. Chapter three of Philippians, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find one in the seat back in front of you. It's going to be in the same translation that we have. And so Philippians chapter three, verse four begins like this. And before I start, just remember Paul is continuing a, a chain of thought, so it may not make sense. All right, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead verse 12 not that i have already reached the goal or am already perfect but i make every effort to take hold of it because i have also been taken hold of by christ jesus brothers and sisters i do not consider myself to have taken hold of it but one thing i do forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead i pursue as my goal the prize promised by god's heavenly call in christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we embark on this journey in this text, I pray that you would encourage the mothers in here who are downtrodden, the ones who are struggling, who feel maybe they don't measure up on such a day as this, or maybe the ones who thought they measured up, but then aren't receiving any contact from their family members. Lord, I pray for the single moms who have to struggle it on their own. I pray for those who are functionally single moms, where dad has checked out. I pray for those moms who um, fail over and over again, that they would come and see you, the living water, the stream of life. Father, I pray for our country. I pray for the state of affairs that we find ourselves in. And I pray for our neighboring countries where pastors are being arrested just for the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we pray for your mercy and your grace upon us. I thank you for your word, how it speaks truth and brings me comfort in my darkest times. I thank you that real riches can be found in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been going through Philippians for quite a while now. We've been several weeks studying Philippians and just going through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we spent a lot of extra time over the last two weeks on just a couple verses. We spent a lot of time talking about how Paul describes the true believer, the true Christian, and the fake Christian or the counterfeit Christian. And we talked about what does that look like and why is it that there are really two religions there is the religion that Christ is your righteousness or your work and then there's a religion where you have to earn your salvation all other religions on this planet talk about works-based righteousness works-based salvation christianity is the only religion where Christ comes and is your work and so we've we talked about that if you have if you're not sure if you're a christian in this room you need to go back and listen to those sermons and determine What does it mean to be born again? So Paul then, he goes on and he explains more about this concept. But he uses himself as an example. Because Paul was a very well-connected man. He was born to the highest levels of society. He was a Roman citizen. He was well-connected through his spiritual life as well as his political life. So Paul's riches were actually trash. He calls it dung. A lot of sermons have been written about this word that he uses. Some say it's a dirty word. Some say it's just a regular common word. But essentially, it's not good stuff. It's trash. And uh, it's often used to refer to stuff outside the city because if you don't have a system of trash removal, it's like the city dump all around your town. When I was uh, on deployment to Iraq, a lot of times we would come to a city and we could smell the city before we got to it. Because they would just take their trash and everything and they would drop it outside the city. And so as you're approaching, you smell it before you get to it. And so that smell is what Paul is saying his stuff was before. He says it's trash. It's dung. What makes a man who is really politically connected, spiritually connected, what makes him say that all his stuff is junk compared to knowing Christ? So that's what we're going to see. Where are true riches found? So riches, when you hear that word, what do you think of when you think about riches? Most people will think about money, obviously. That's the initial connection. But what about how people look at you? How many of you want to be the mom that have the kids that are perfectly behaved? Who show up on time? Who walk in a straight line by order of height? How many of you would like to be looked at like that? How much of that is reality? How many of you have watched, looked at those Pinterest things and then looked at the Pinterest fails? You ever seen those? Where there's a thing on Pinterest that's like really awesome looking and you're like, I could do that. And you build it, but it looks like a a demon possessed child that has climbed out of it, right? And it's just like, what is that thing, right? And that's what we feel like sometimes when we have an image of a perfect life in our mind and then our kids walk out wearing, you know, no clothes. And they just, you're like, you can't go to school with no clothes on. This has never been a thing. And we see that in our lives. So that could be riches. Maybe how men look at you or other people look at you could be considered a riches. Or maybe success. I want to be good at my job. I want to be so good that I'm willing to work so hard to be successful. What is success? Where do you find true riches? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Where are these real riches found? It could be anything from prestige to power to money. But ultimately, it comes from the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's what Jesus tells us. So, Paul has in mind these things, but ultimately confidence in the flesh. Confidence in your own abilities. And in fact, we see that this is common in our Christian circles today. There are church people. Have you seen those church people? who put on fancy clothes, come to church when their life is a wreck and they don't want anybody to know. They put on a facade, essentially. And they they come to church thinking that their appearance will save them. And we have them, they they kind of ooze syrupy words. Oh, don't worry. I'll pray for you. Oh, I love you. Don't worry. But I can't be bothered to deal with you right now. Right, and they have these syrupy kind of oozing words, and they put and they do a good show for a long time, and you can be taken in. But sometimes the truth comes out, doesn't it? And you know how the truth comes out? Time, time always tells all, doesn't it? They uh, they're full of flattery. Oh, I am so glad to meet you. I've heard so many wonderful things about you. I heard you're the best pastor I've ever met. Oh, you have such a nice voice. And then what happens? They stab you in the back, right? These are the church people that are common. I like how uh, Shakespeare says, all that glitters is not gold. They can put on a facade, but their house is a wreck. Their house is disordered because they're looking for riches in what other people think about them. They Sometimes they're really good gift givers. I have a friend who gives the best gifts, but he is a terrible person at home. He is a mean to his family and he is a good gift giver, but he is mean to his family. That's what happens when you want others to look at you a certain way. His riches are found in something else. It's a valueless treasure. And that's what Paul used to think. He's pointing to his new reality. He said, this used to be important to me. This used to be valuable to me. I was willing to kill people in the church in order to be zealous for God. But that's trash. Paul looked up for his riches in his pedigree and his performance. Now, I'm not talking about the dog food, but I'm talking about his heritage, his pedigree. And you shouldn't look for your riches in your pedigree or your performance. Maybe you are not so gifted. Maybe God did not give you a winning smile. Or an intelligence that would rival others. Maybe you're kind of dumb. Maybe you're not so good looking. right? Maybe people don't like you. What have you been given? So in verse 4, we see Paul says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. Of all the most spiritual people, Paul was it. He was it. He had a Ph.D. in Judaism. He was on the fast track to being the next high priest. He sat at the best religious teacher's feet. He had money, his family was well-connected, and he was a Roman citizen. You can't get much better than where Paul was. Because not only were the Jews going to respect him, but the Romans would respect him. He had a pedigree, and not only that, he had performance. He was gifted. He says... Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, in verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I have more because I was circumcised on the eighth day. I don't think we need to explain what circumcision means. If you do, you can go look it up. There are children in the room. But it's important that you're circumcised as a Hebrew and he was done, it was done on the eighth day. It was done exactly on time. His parents took him to be taken care of at the right time. So that means he's fulfilling the law perfectly. Not by his own ability, but by his parents. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he's one of the tribes of Israel. He is belonging to the family of the Jews. He says not only that, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, his parents were Hebrews. His, per, his parents were Jews, which is exactly what you want to be if you want to be the next high priest. You have to have a perfect pedigree. And then he stops, and he starts to talk about his performance. He says, regarding the law, a Pharisee. Now, when we hear the word Pharisee, we think of like a hypocrite. We think of someone who says one thing and does another. But in this time... Pharisees were looked upon as the PhDs of the Jewish world. These men studied the law carefully. They memorized the Bible very well and they had the answers and they were very respected in the city. So he had his birth and his breeding was his confidence and he really had a resume that would get him any job he wanted. He had the resume. How many of you have had to work on a resume? How many of you have had to examine someone else's resume and it says stuff in there like this person is the coolest person we've ever met and I'm like I don't know if that's really true right we like to pad our resume a little bit and we say I'm an expert typist and they're like okay how many words can you do? five five words per minute that's my my goal and you're like okay I don't know if that's expert is really a good word for there and we examine these and we can start to question someone's real real resume. Are they really the right person for the job? He was. He would be the one that you want running a synagogue. He's the one that you want being your spiritual advisor. He is the perfect pastor. He has the perfect resume. And he was a zealot, he says. He had a zeal. In fact, he was so zealous, he was persecuting the church. Anybody who was following this Christian sect that looked like a cult to the Hebrews, He was going to execute them. He would pull them out of their houses. He would hunt them down. He was so good at destroying the enemies of the faith, at least in his mind. And not only that, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He followed the law perfectly. He was works-based. Everything he did was based on his own ability. What do you think the Americanized version of this would look like? So not too long ago, someone was questioning my patriotism, maybe a few years ago. I don't know if you know much about me, but I I basically wrote a a similar thing for myself. I said, I'm an American citizen. I was in the army for 10 and a half years. I deployed for 45 months to Iraq for your freedom. Because this is some guy that didn't ever deploy or was in the military. I said, I'm a patriot of patriots. I'm a patriot born of patriots. I said, everyone in my family from my grandfather's onward, were in the military. I said, we are a family of patriots. I have the pedigree. I have the performance. I am a patriot. So what would an Americanized version be? It would be, well, born to middle-class parents, maybe Christian parents. You went to all the right schools. You went to the best seminaries in the land. You have a safe home. You didn't have to scrounge for money. You um, were athletic. You were the captain of the football team. You went to Awana every Wednesday night, never missed an Awana. You went to VBS and said said a prayer, and then you were baptized. All these things are the Americanized version of what Paul is saying here. He's saying these things are of trash. They are no value to your salvation. Not that these things aren't important. But they are no value. And sometimes we hold on to trash, don't we? How many of you have tried to take something from a toddler? Something they really like. So my daughter found a plate. It's just a little paper plate that had Mickey Mouse on it. And she would not give up that plate. I tried to take it from her because it was trashy. It had trash on it. She said, no! No! My Mickey! And she wouldn't let go. Why would she do that? In fact, the only way I could take that from her was by bringing her an actual toy and trading, right? That's the way we do things. We have to trade. So she had to give up this trash for real treasure. So many of you are holding on to trash. You are holding on to trash in your life. You're thinking that these things are so important I'm going to hold on to them, and I'm going to refuse to give them up. And so we can't look for our riches in our pedigree or our performance. What glitters in your life that you think is a treasure that's really trash? What are you holding on to in your life that you think is a treasure? Is it your reputation? There's a Taylor Swift song, Big Reputation. And I'll, I'll, that's the only thing I know about it. She just sings that over and over again. I guess that's how Taylor Swift sings. And she sings the same words over and over. But it says, big reputation. You have a big reputation. And I think about that sometimes when I hear what Paul is saying. He had a big reputation, but he gave it up. What a life change that we see in Paul. What would be so big for him to give up the perfect resume? To give up the best job ever? What What would it take to do that? What would it take for you to give up your big reputation? Paul met Christ. He met Christ in a powerful way. His, essentially what we're seeing here is a testimony. Paul gives his testimony over and over again in many other passages. But in this instance, his testimony is theological. He's like, this is what actually happened on the inside, on this road to Damascus. God through Christ showed him who he really is and what he used to have. He used to be proud about his treasure or his trash, but his real treasure is found in Christ. and so we find that real riches are found not only in Christ but by Christ. 7 through11 we see that Paul's real riches are found by being found in Christ and your real riches, are found by being found in Christ. Paul shares us a spiritual spreadsheet, his gains and his losses. In verse seven, he says, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. He made a spreadsheet. Did you see that? Did you see the word spreadsheet in there? Okay, you didn't see that in there. But he said, everything that was a gain was a loss. How many of you bound books? I know poor Joy balances the church's books and I am really bad about getting her the receipts that she needs when she needs them. And so she knocks on my door and says, Pastor, where are these charges from? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Here are these receipts. I'm like pulling them out of my pockets and it's all these crinkled receipts and I have to like fill out stuff. And what I've done is I've made her job more difficult. And so when we look at our spiritual spreadsheet, how do we balance it? How is your spiritual spreadsheet balanced? Take some time this week and write out all the things that you invest your time, your mental capacity, and your energy into. What do you spend your time doing? And then ask yourself, if God was in control of this spreadsheet, would there be some changes? Would he maybe move the Facebook death scroll over into another column as a loss? Would he take your Twitter feed and place it somewhere else would he take the garbage that comes out of your mouth when you slam your thumb with a nail that will he put that in the loss category and what will he put in the gain category so essentially what does paul say he says everything that was a gain to me everything all things all his life that was a gain is a loss what are you you doing with your life because Christ changes everything, doesn't He? He gives you new eyes. He allows you to look at your spiritual spreadsheet and determine I thought this was valuable. I invested my time in this thing, but it's garbage. It is. I look back on my life when I was not pursuing Christ, and all the medals, all the things that I used to think was such a, a making me a big guy and so awesome was trash. Because I didn't know Christ. In fact, my lieutenant—he uh, was a captain now—he just graduated from Ranger School, and he had mentioned something about how how he much, much he appreciated the time I spent mentoring him. And I looked at him and I said, "You know, I did mentor you uh, in, in combat. I did mentor you in tactics, but what I didn't mentor you was spiritually." And I said, "That's a loss." I said, "I wish I had spent the time working through it with you spiritually, because I was a trash heap." I was an alcoholic, I was a drunk, I was a blasphemer, I was a very terrible person. And all that was a loss. So I wonder what you're holding on to. Are you hanging on really tight to your trash? And it's really simple. You put Christ on one side and all your trinkets on the other. Your trinkets go in the the loss category. Because Christ is always better. Always. So in verses 8 through 11, we see the goal. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You hear that surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. This is what real Christianity is, friends. This is what real Christianity looks like. It is seeing everything else as a loss because you're pursuing knowing jesus christ that's where the true value lies in your life everything else is wasted are you living a life that's pleasing to christ or pleasing to yourself that's the question we have to ask all this old stuff is really a hindrance to knowing christ the more time you spend looking at netflix or facebook trying to make yourself up to be some kind of person that you're not is really a loss Because it doesn't matter. Who cares what the neighbors think about you? Now, my neighbors have been painting their house, and they just bought a new truck. If I spent all my time thinking about trying to keep up with them, what a big loss that would be. How silly. Because you know what's going on on the inside? Fights. Anger. Frustration. Just because they have a nice outside doesn't mean it's going well on the inside. In verse 9, he says, And to be, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God is based on faith. If you want right standing before God, it's in Christ and Christ alone. Not through your own abilities. Not through your own trash. It's in Christ and him alone. The standard is Christ. Where do you put your trust? Do you put it in yourself or in Christ? And Paul's goal is to know him deeper. Look at verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the koinonia, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. You ever say you want to be conformed to someone's death? I just want to be like that dead guy. That's what Paul is saying. Can you imagine saying that? I want to be like that guy who died. He wants to take on the likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants to die like Christ. What takes a man who is a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, righteous by the law, to say, I don't want anything but to die and be like Christ? It takes a lot, doesn't it? It takes something powerful. A lot more powerful than an energy drink. A lot more powerful than the things that we put our trust in and our hope in. So this is the mock Christian growth, by the way. Not only is this an example of salvation, but it's an example of how to grow as a Christian, becoming more and more conformed to the death of Christ. In verse 11, he says, assuming I will somehow reach the resurrection from the among the dead. Now, many people will point to that and be like, well, Paul didn't really believe that he was saved. He's just hoping that he will be saved that's not exactly what's going on here because what paul is saying is he identifies so much with being like christ in his death being united to him as a reality being conformed into him daily until the resurrection and from the dead that's what he's really saying this word assuming is kind of misleading in the english language so what is he saying he's saying in fact The more obedient one person is to Christ, that means you're being conformed to his death, the more resurrection power becomes available. Further, Paul longed for the completion of this Christian hope. Someday he would enjoy complete uh, transformation of character, newness of body, and a perfect environment. He would live in heaven with his Lord. That's what he is saying. He's saying, I am hoping to become more obedient to Christ because Christ's death and resurrection was an act of obedience to God. I want to ask you this question What are you crowding Jesus out with? Do you have a spreadsheet that has Jesus plus? Well, Jesus plus my family, Jesus plus my good looks. Beauty is fading, says Ecclesiastes. Jesus plus my intelligence, guess what? You're going to start forgetting things as you age. Jesus plus what? What does your spreadsheet look like? Well, if people would just look at me nicely, or if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a better car, if I just had a better job, if people would respect me, if my husband wouldn't be such a a lazy bum, if my wife wouldn't just be so nagging, I would would be such a better person. Jesus plus what? What if our losses were really gain in Christ? What if the losses in your life is gain? What if the stuff that you are lamenting being taken from you is actually truly of value? Have you thought about that? What if the death of my dad when I was only 19 was truly gained for me? Have you thought about it that way before? I want you to consider that. What is the goal of your life? Is it enjoying more of Christ and his power? Because that's what Paul does. His goal is to know Christ. In fact, he suffers and he, he, he has trials and he has pain. And he's able to write and encourage other people. He's in prison in Rome. Probably not feeling very good about himself. And he's writing to these folks, telling people to stop arguing in the church. He's encouraging people from his chains. I want you to think about that for a minute. What does it take for a man to do that? He prays for others, encourages others, sings songs while he's chained up. Because God is in control of Paul's spreadsheets. Who's in control of your spreadsheets? We know that real riches are found by being found in Jesus Christ. And by Christ. And not only that, but through Christ. 12 through 14, really quickly, talks about how he is not perfect. He says he has not reached the goal. He has to pursue it. And he's saying that you need to pursue conformity to the death of Jesus Christ. You need to put your life to death. The things that you used to value, the the selfish things that you wanted, you need to put it to death. You need to kill it because it is nothing compared to knowing Christ. He says, make every effort because you have been taken a hold of, just like in chapter 2, verses 12 through um, 12 and 13. Therefore, dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do you hear that? The double-sided nature of sanctification, the double-sided nature of growing in Jesus Christ. You are pursuing conformity to Christ because he has already begun his work in you. You are outwardly working what he has inwardly started to work. And he says, how do we do this? First, you forget the past. Look at our verse, verse 12, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to be uh, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, here we go, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Just because you've accomplished much in your life does not mean that you continue to look back at it. You do not rest on your laurels, as they used to say. We look forward. The second thing is he says he reaches forward. Remember, this is athletic imagery. He is talking about a race, a foot race. Back in the day, they used to run races. I think we all know about the Olympics. And they would run a race. And in that race, there would be a marker or a goal. We have a finish line, right? And you would run. Now, if I am running and I'm looking at the crowds, how effective do you think I'm going to be in my race? pretty lame, right? I would actually probably trip and fall. Or if I'm looking behind me to see if anyone's catching up, I'm probably going to trip and fall on my face. What he says here is he says, I pursue as my goal, that word goal is finish line or marker. I pursue as my goal, the price, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He reaches forward to the promise by looking at Christ as the marker, as the goalpost in order to reach that upward call, essentially the resurrection from the dead. That is what Paul is putting his whole life focus into. Paul's riches were trash, but he found real riches in Christ, by Christ and through Christ Jesus. And you must find your riches in Christ by letting go of your trash and pursuing real life in Christ, by Christ and through Christ. The question that we have before us is what are you holding on to that is keeping you from a real, vibrant life in Christ Jesus? Are you saying in your mind, I'm too broken for this? I have lived a hard life. I have been abused and mistreated. I cannot live a life like Paul. I don't know if you've read the story of Paul, but he has been beaten. He has been shipwrecked. He has been bitten by poisonous snakes. They thought he was dead several times. Paul is not faint of heart. He's not writing this from an ivory tower. Is your spreadsheet balanced? Do you have Christ on one side and some other stuff on the other, and you kind of balance your spreadsheet? You need to unbalance it. It needs to be Christ and Christ alone. So that song, All I Have is Christ, there's a story behind it. In fact, I have a personal story about it. When I was in seminary, my... um, one of the guys in my class actually wrote that song. Jordan Coughlin is the author of that song, All I Have is Christ. And one of the, my other classmates said, you know, that song was really impactful to me. And I said, what do you mean? I said, it's kind of cool that we have someone who wrote a song in my class, right? I'm kind of like starstruck a little bit, right? And he's like, we sang that at a funeral a couple weeks ago. I said, oh, okay, you know, that makes sense. All I have is Christ. That's a great funeral. He's like, no, no, you don't get it. He said, there's a couple in my church. They've been trying to have children for many years. He said, they had a child. That child died. He said, they took that little tiny casket to the grave. They placed it on the little grave marker, and it was so small and light, it just took one person to carry the casket. They placed it in there, and they all stood around it, and they sang that song. All I have is Christ. Can you sit and sing that song? All I have is Christ when your baby dies. Single mom or mom and dad with no babies anymore. Childless now. Think about what it takes to say that. Maybe their loss is truly a gain. This is the harsh reality of our of our faith maybe our loss is gain you can only sing that song around the grave when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ when you actually pursue Jesus in your everyday life when he becomes more valuable to you than anything else those that couple could not sing all i have is christ if they had been holding on to other things could they What if they only read the Bible maybe once or twice a week? Or maybe once a month? Or maybe they never looked at the Bible? Maybe they pray only every once in a while. Do you think they could sing all I have is Christ at the grave? If you do not have a daily pursuit of Jesus Christ, your life is unbalanced. Are you taking what you read and putting it into action. Because that's what Paul had. He had a lot of knowledge. And in fact, his action was contrary to the word of God. I want you to pray with me this week that God's spirit would help you to do these things. To seek him more clearly. To seek him more deeply. To cling to him more sweetly. And to give your life because he gave his life for you. Can we do that? Can we pray that this week? Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray this week that we would pursue you with our whole heart. Lord, we know that all we have is Christ. That our life is meaningless and purposeless without you. We are unanchored in this world without Christ. And Father, we do that because we know who Christ is. We know that he is the one who... Who died for us the perfect sacrifice the perfect substitution for our sins and Lord we can respond to this through faith not through our own works not through our own abilities but through faith and that that faith will lead to deeper trust and a desire to know him more father if there are anyone in this room or is anyone in this room who has not been awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ this good news and their life is a wreck either by their own choice or by others, that they would pursue you and be able to sing with that couple who lost that baby, all I have is Christ. That's it. That's all I have. That's all that matters. Father, give us the strength to bear trials. Give us the strength to share that good news with those around us. Father, we pray for the city of Sierra Vista that they would be transformed by the exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will save you. No good works, no medical knowledge will do what you can do and you can do alone. And all these things we ask in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus. Amen.